As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm Ian Irving and with us today are Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitten. We've also got a special guest for you too, Marcel van der Kran from over in Holland, who's actually spoken to Eric Ten Hag in the last week as he begins his work as a new Manchester United manager. Who needs the Caribbean when you've got Carrington to look forward to? He's not quite at Carrington yet, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. Uh, and Laurie, you've not been at Carrington. You've been at Old Trafford kicking footballs about. I mean, I knew that standards had slipped there this season, but I didn't think it slipped that low. <laughs> well, as well, if you saw us actually playing, you know, you, you're absolutely correct, Ian. Um, it was a ragtag bunch <laughs> of people that could run around a bit. That was the category that I fell into, but with zero technique. And then other elder gentlemen, should we say, that perhaps couldn't get up and down the wings like they once did. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, you've played in a media game against Manchester United staff on Old Trafford this morning. As an experience for a United fan listening to this, can you just describe what it was like to do that? Yeah, I mean, I can see Andy here shaking his head because he couldn't get over from Barca, could he? And it was really good, Andy. Um, We went in home dressing room as well, Um, so... Did you get the home dressing room? I saw you were wearing red, which I think is ridiculous. So the staff, wow. so it, was, it was Man United comms team, basically. They were wearing the away kit, the blue, the blue one from this season. Uh, we were in the home dressing room. Uh, and I will make a joke quickly because we lost, I think, 7-1. So now we know how it feels to be in that home dressing room at the end of a heavy defeat. So when, <laughs> so when players say you don't know how it feels, we, we do. Now we do. Um, but it was great. I played with Carl Anker, obviously. We know Carl. Uh, David Ornstein. Um, he put a United kit on, even though he's an Arsenal fan. Uh. And... We had a great time, to be honest. It was the, the pitch actually, surprisingly, I didn't feel it was that big. I thought that was a thing that would be really uh, difficult to, to get with, but um, actually, it wasn't. It kind of felt like I could get up and down the wings. Um, <laughs> and I played 80 minutes of the 90 because it was supposed to be rolling subs. And this is the, this is the reason. And to be fair to United's comms team, they gave us the PR line, they, they've given us the spin. And the fact is that they had 25 players in their squad, we had 17 with a couple of injuries. Uh, so the fact that they could do rolling subs on repeat and keep the legs fresh, you know, we, we, it took our toll in the second half. So that's what I'm I'm clinging to as as a reason for our heavy defeat. Andy, you're shaking your head. Eh? Laurie, Laurie, 
You got beat 7-1, mate. You just keep a low profile. You shouldn't be doing social media. You shouldn't be talking after this. I'm, I'm gutted that I couldn't... I'm even more gutted that I couldn't uh, play now. And I blame Manchester City because if they would have done their job in Madrid, I wouldn't have to go to Madrid <laughs> and and speak to their footballers. But I, I've never played at Old Trafford. I've never even crossed the white line. I've never been on that pitch. And part of me wants to die that way, having never been on the sacred grass, which first mesmerised me, truthfully, as a 10-year-old. When I first saw saw that, age 9 or 10, I don't think I've seen anything greater in my life than that. And I've been fortunate to travel. And it only lasted for like the first two or three uh, visits to Old Trafford. But this oasis of green, or brown as it was then, <laughs> in the middle of Trafford Park, wow. But I, I've, I've never been on it, mate. So I'm going to try and play in it uh, next year. Clearly, you can do with um, some some more footballers. We need some reinforcements. Andy, if you never get to set foot on the pitch, don't worry, I'll sprinkle your ashes for you on there, mate. It'll be fine. You can you can be laid to rest there. And I imagine there was a few journalists lying to rest there at the end of the 90 minutes today. Just to check that Laurie's actually telling the truth as well there, Andy, we've got an exclusive report from that match by our correspondent, Carl Anker. I just want to give a special shout out to Laurie Whitwell, who was superb in today's performance. Absolutely ran the channels, constantly hassled and harried the opposition, uh, and also did a little bit of pressing on a goalkeeper and picked himself up a yellow card. It's all good. He's got the dog in him. That's what you want. Bit of passion. Excellent performance from him. Pleasure playing with him as always. Wow, I mean oh, that is beautiful Carl. from Carl. Carl, you got beat seven one. You can't be coming out with stuff like that. He's got a wicked sense of humour. No, That's listen to say. me. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it back at Carl. He was brilliant in defence as well. By the way, it could have been worse if he'd not been able to, you know, shepherd the ball out, put some tackles, and he put his body on the line. He got a, a ball to the head whilst he's on the ground after a tackle that was a, from sort of five <laughs> yards away. That I thought, right, that's a knockout blow. But he carried on, um, unlike others that we won't name that, that didn't finish the full game. Um, but yeah, I got booked at the Stretford end because I was sliding in to try and block a goal goal kick from a keeper. And uh, and he, he stood on my ankle and the ref booked me. Apparently he's a championship standard ref, but I had a little bit to say about that. Um, but what I will say is, in United's midfield, the staff, they had a, a guy that was at Cruise Academy until he was 18. He's only 24 now. So he was running the show and that's why we lost by that scoreline. Andy, we need you next time. Ian, we need you next time. And then you can come at me and say... Listen, fair enough. It is quite a difficult thing to play in Old Trafford, but it was a great experience. Yeah, we will do. Go flying into that 24-year-old after two minutes and then afterwards. <laughs> I mean, if you were doing Manchester United's manager the way you're talking after that defeat at Brighton, you'd run, well, it wasn't so bad. We only got beat 4-0. It could have been 6-0. We've got to take the positives out of this. Do you know who our manager was as well? It was Mr. Neil Custis of the Sun. And I have to say, it was great for motivating us. <laughs> He, he, he stood on that touchline like he, like he, like it was his place to be. So listen, if if it don't work out for Eric, then we know we've got a ready-made replacement. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to your strongly worded apology on Instagram, Laurie. I have to say for that seven-one defeat, <laughs> my PR team will be sorting that one. Okay, it's not just been a big day for Laurie and friends at Old Trafford, also for Eric Ten Hag as well, who's arrived in the UK to start work as the new Manchester United manager. He's not quite reached Manchester just yet, we understand, but that will come, of course, and that is ahead of schedule as well, because he's turned down a trip to Curaçao with Ajax 
to start his work here in the UK. And that was one of the interesting details from an exclusive interview that he did with the Dutch newspaper De Telegraaf over the weekend. Marcel van der Kran is their sports editor and no stranger to English football fans. He joins us now on Talk of the Devils. Marcel, thank you for doing this. Nice to be on, guys. We're going to get into lots of things, of course, over the course of this chat, but what's the immediate reaction and the opinion of of, of Ten Hag coming to Manchester United and the, the situation that the club's in? Well, I think if there hadn't been any stories in the English newspapers um, warning us that there is a kind of uh, apocalypse happening there at the moment, I think people would have been very proud. He's taking care of uh, everything at the Manchester United. He'll try and play the football like he did with Ajax when he first started. But at this moment, everybody's thinking, oh, my God, he's almost like Red Adair, you know, landing in Australia when they had their bushfires. And um, is there anything to be saved there? Is there any? Is there one single green bush at Old Trafford? Uh, it's that sort of state everybody's believing he's, he's, he's ending up in. It's not that bad, Andy, is it? Well, it's not that good either, is it? Because we've been watching Manchester United and... There's more than one Manchester United fan has said, what on earth is Eric letting himself in for? But Marcel, correct me if I'm wrong, when he first came to Ajax, there were a lot of people in Holland doubting whether that was a good appointment. And I can remember, I think, seeing you in the Bernabeu before Ajax beat Real Madrid. And I spoke to several people who from Holland and they were saying, if he doesn't win tonight, he's probably going to lose his job. And of course, Ajax beat Real Madrid in one of the best games that I, I've seen. But he was the outsider when he arrived. Is he an outsider now, coming into England? Is he used to that adversity with people thinking, I've got doubts about you? You're spot on there. If people really would know what was happening behind the scenes at the beginning of his uh, time at Ajax, they would have been shocked. We, in the beginning, couldn't believe that there was so much unrest in the dressing room, on the training pitch. It was Hakim Ziyech wasn't happy. Uh, Dusan Tadic was not happy with Eric Tanach. And Tadic was a very influential player. He came from the Premier League, had a lot of experience. And they were playing in a style, and they were training in a certain style, which Eric wanted to stick to. But it wasn't, it wasn't gelling. It wasn't going down well with the players. And... You could feel it was bubbling to almost, well, boiling temperatures. And it was either going towards an exit of Eric or they had to meet each other somewhere. And at one time, Tadic gave us some of the inside information there. Not a lot, but he he wanted to tell us, look, we need to change our ways with Eric. And Eric has to change his ways with us. And I think that was a crucial time. The fans were not happy. The players were not quite happy. But the fact that they turned it round and the fact that a club like Ajax stuck to their belief, their vision, their ideas, and this is where maybe the the parallel could come for Man United. If you change and if you want a, a real change of your football, you have to stick to what you choose for. And Mark Overmars was influential. I think if Mark Overmars had not been there, maybe Eric would have been out. But he was a, a choice of Overmars. And Overmars said to everybody, you have to go with Eric. We, we, you must believe in him because I think he's going to really, really change Ajax. And well, the rest is history. But 
it, it was a very, very crucial time. And that could happen again at Manchester United because at the time in, in Holland, he was working in a very comfortable environment when we talk about the language, uh, the, 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 the scenery of the Dutch Eredivisie. You know, he knows all the clubs, the opponents, he knows all the managers, he knows every player who he was playing against. Now he's landing in a no man's land as far as Ten Hag is concerned. He's never coached, never played in England. Everything is new. He needs people who have to warn him about things. Let alone the club itself, Manchester United, is, is a giant of a club. Ajax was big, Ajax is big in Holland, but nowhere as big as, as Manchester United. And I think this is making it going to make it very complicated for him, especially again in the first six months, because if by Christmas they would be seventh or eighth or ninth, people are going to say, well, what's changed? And is he having the support then from the club? Again, like he did from Overmars. Is there a Mark Overmars at United for him? Marcel, your interview with him this weekend was uh, illuminating in many ways. But do you think that he is equipped to come into a situation like Manchester United? And do you think it's quite a, uh, a significant moment that he said he's going to start work on May the 16th, you know, the day that we're recording this podcast? He's not wasting any time. Well, the fact that he wants to start so early, I think, tells you something about the alarming situation of the club, Manchester United. And I think mainly about the squad, because a, a manager only looks at the squad. He's not worried about who's working in the offices and uh, who's the performance coach. And uh, that will all be filled in at, at times. But a manager only wants to play who he's going to have as a left wing and a right back, isn't he? And I think he's got quite big concerns after his talks with Man United. He's very motivated, wants to do the job, wants to change it. But then you need to have a say in, in, the, in the attraction of new players, who's coming in, who's going out. And I think he can't do that on the 1st of July, when three days later he leaves with his squad to, is it Australia the first one? Thailand, then Thailand Australia. To, to, well, to Asia. You can't change anything about your squad there. And then, so he needs to do it now. Is he equipped? I think he's more equipped. If he's totally equipped, we have to see. But the fact that he turned things around at Ajax under the biggest... Uh, pressure on the a lot of uh, resistance from players, fans. The fact that he weathered all the, the storms from the Dutch media, because my paper has not been kind to him uh, in the first 12 months, I have to admit that. Uh, uh, and at the end of the day, he said, thank you, guys. You guys have, have, been, have made it difficult at times for me, but we've worked well, we've got there, we've got trophies. And it's also been a learning experience for me. And I think he needed that to come to Man United. It, and it still might not be the kind of storms he could face, which I've seen with other managers, which I've seen with Louis van Gaal uh, when I was there, uh, which he, he, he could be ending up in. You mentioned Louis van Gaal there, Marcel. When you look at the position he was in when he came to Manchester and obviously the, the problems that he faced, he's been so outspoken about how he felt that the club wasn't set up for sporting success necessarily. How much is Eric Ten Hag listening to that type of, of comment and, and how much do you think he is aware of exactly what he's stepping into in that sense? Well, I hope he's not listening too much to Louis van Gaal <laughs> because he needs to have his own... People, Louis van Gaal was completely not right at that moment and probably would never be for um, a big job at Manchester United because he's far too Dutch 
Louis van Gaal is a man who had no idea for the the British uh, well situation for the for, for British football, and he was very very Dutch. So um, it was um, very yeah. It was never going to work. What what type of management style does Eric have? Is he an autocrat? Does he like to be on the training pitch? Does he like complete control? Does he delegate? What's he like with the media? I've described him once as a training beast. He's a man of a tracksuit. He's not a man like the English manager who wants to get on the phone, does all the dealings like Benitez used to do. I used to hear stories when Benitez was at Newcastle that they could never see him on the pitch because he was always speaking to agents and uh, other club managers talking about the change of players. Tanakh will hate that. The only time when he's going to get involved is the next six weeks because he wants to get the squad right. But once he's in that job on the 1st of July, I think you'll see him on the first day in his tracksuit. And ideally, he's out on the pitch most of the day. And I think in the beginning, the players will be baffled when they see how many hours they'll be spending there. But that's what you need if you want to change to a whole offensive football style. And I won't say he's going to bring total Dutch football to Manchester United, but he will want to, to make it in a way how he plays Ajax, because that is the only way he wants to play football. Tanakh is a massive fan of Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola was taught by Johan Cruyff. Cruyff brought the Dutch football from the 70s to Barcelona. He guided Koeman and Pep Guardiola, and later even Peter Boss, who is now at Olympique Lyon, and who also... Uh, was manager of Ajax, and all of them played that total football style. And the fact that Eric Ten Hag loved his time at Bayern Munich so much with Pep, and the fact that he says, look, he's my big example, is in a way uh, learning from the heritage of Johan Cruyff, because that's where it all comes from. He's going to have Mitchell van der Gaag as one of his assistants, Steve McLaren, who we know well as one of his assistants, how much do you know about how that will shape down in terms of what people will actually be doing at Manchester United? I think Mitchell van der Gaal will be very much his right-hand man because Mitchell is a very intelligent guy who speaks, I think, six or seven languages, speaks fluent Portuguese. Um, his family still live in Portugal. Now, if you have read over the last 24 hours the words from Eric Tanach, how he sees Cristiano Ronaldo, how much he wants to work with him, how great he thinks as a player and his stats. He studied everything about him already. Well, then it, of course, it helps. Even though Ronaldo speaks perfect English, it helps to have a guy like Mitchell van der Gaar who speaks Spanish to the Spanish-speaking guys, uh, Portuguese to, to, to Ronaldo. It makes players comfortable. And if you have a new manager coming in, um, and, you, and he speaks literally the language, it helps. And with Eric Ten Hag not having the greatest English um, as, as, as a second language, I think it's a wise thing to have somebody like Mitchell van der Gaag next to him. And Steve McLaren, he needs him to be there because, well, what I described earlier, you need a real Englishman if you end up in a, in, a, in a country and in a football, it's the biggest football competition in the world. And if you've got nobody who knows that league, then, 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 then yeah, you, you can't survive there. When Ronald Koeman went to Southampton, he said to me, 
I was doing his column at the time with him. He said, I need a real Englishman next to me. And he went for Sammy Lee. And some people thought, Sammy Lee? How can he work with, with Ronald Koeman? But, you know, he was a, very much a scouser. Ronald says, my only problem is, Mars, he says, I've been to all sorts of English courses and I've never had the course where I can understand Sammy Lee. <laughs> but it worked out really well because Ronald says after six matches and three of them were away, he says, everywhere where I walk into a training or a stadium in a football ground, everybody says, hello, Sammy, how are you, Sammy? Everybody knew him. But he knew everything about the opponents, the culture of the club, the football they play, uh, the style, uh, the managers, uh, the history, everything. He says, and that was such a bonus for me. He says, the only disadvantage was that he was at, at the training ground at Southampton so early because at six o'clock in the morning, Sammy Lee was already there making coffee and Ronald wouldn't come in till quarter past eight in the morning. <laughs> and when he came in, Sammy Lee was so hyped up. He says, right, Bob, what are we going to do? What are we doing? What, what, what's the plan for today? <laughs> and Ronald says, Sammy, Sammy, let's take a cup of coffee first. You know, I, I've just walked in. I've still got my coat on. He said, well, boss, I've had all my coffee. So he, uh, that was quite funny. But I, So in that respect, we have to see the arrival of Steve McLaren back at the club because he needs somebody who knows the culture of, of British football. They worked together at, at 20. They had success there. What was their working relationship like? I know Steve McLaren spoke perfect Dutch. He learned it very quickly. That became very famous in, 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 in the UK. <laughs> Influenced his English, didn't it? Yeah. But did, did, are they two people who work well? Because they're going to switch roles now. Indeed. Um, the master will now be Eric Tanach, And I think Steve is very happy to work with him because he knows that Eric was very loyal to him, but also very influential. And the same thing was said by Fred Rutten when he was manager of PSV Eindhoven. And Eric was then his assistant. And Fred said, he was so important for me because he has such a good football brain. Eric never played for Holland. He was a very solid central defender, had a very good career, but it never went to a World Cup or a European Championship. But he's an intelligent guy, and he comes from a family who have done really well in the Netherlands. They're very well off. He was already a multimillionaire probably before he ended up in, uh, in football because of the family business. But it also makes him very independent. And this is why I'm bringing that bit in about his family background. The independency was there from day one. Eric Ten Hag did not need to compromise with any director, any chairman of a club if they did not agree with him and they wanted him to do things different because he wasn't depending financially on football. He wasn't, uh, he wanted to be his own man. And I think that cannot be said about every football manager. A lot of them want to survive and Eric's not a survivor. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Marcel, I want to come back to two points that you made before. First of all, you mentioned about Ten Hag's English not being... Uh, as good as as perhaps it could be coming over here. How much do you think he'll work on that and how much of an issue is it for him straight away that perhaps his communication skills are not as good as as other managers? He's been mugged in Holland for the way he speaks English. And if you go on YouTube, you'll probably find some hilarious videos uh, when he talks to an Italian reporter. Um, Some of the other moments have been quite funny. But he's... He's a grafter in that way. He has been studying English, and I'm sure that by the time it's Christmas, he can handle himself very well in English. Whether that is enough to have the... If you can tackle all the questions from the British media who come from left, right, and centre in a press conference when it gets a bit heated, that is, for me, going to be the the crucial point for him because you are fragile, then, uh, as a manager... You can be brilliant about your tactics, about your football, but these days, 50% of the job is about how you come across. And it's a big difference if you come across um, not good enough at Burnley or at Manchester United. If you go on a world tour uh, in all the big games, the whole world's watching him. So it's going to be interesting times. And the other point I wanted to come back to as well was you mentioned about him speaking about Cristiano Ronaldo in the interview that you've done in the Telegraph, which is a fascinating read, I'm sure. I tried to battle with Google Translate earlier to be able to read it, um, and unfortunately I could only only get excerpts of it. But Ronaldo was very clear in that in that interview. It was the headline that, that you chose to go for as well. How purposeful was it, do you think, that Ten Hag spoke about Ronaldo in such glowing terms and, and made him front and centre of that interview arriving in Manchester as well. Because over here, there has been some question marks about whether we thought Ronaldo would be front and centre of Ten Hag's team, but it sounds like he will be that. He said one really interesting thing during the interview, and he wouldn't say the name or the names of, of the players. But he, of course, in the, in the past few weeks, I have to tell you first, he made out he's not been working Manchester United. The focus was on Ajax. We have to win the league and uh, don't ask me questions. He banned Sky Sports, banned every reporter from Britain, <laughs> from the Ajax training ground. He was almost paranoid that he would be confronted with a microphone which had an English media outlet on it. <laughs> and yet, on Saturday, he suddenly said um, he'd had messages from Manchester United players welcoming him to the club. And I thought that was a very, very significant point because they're still working on the Ralph Rangnick. The season's not over yet. And what does that say about the enthusiasm? And next for me was, who were these players? Which players have been welcoming and have been saying hello to him? If you see where I'm going. The next glowing report about Cristiano Ronaldo, (laughs) it almost (laughs) makes me think those two have been in touch 
you know, it might be my journalistic, um, you know, nose, nosy, nosy sort of mind, but it, I, I try and to add two and two together, but it's, it's too much of a coincidence. It sounds like it, doesn't it? I guess the other factor as well is the way that Ten Hag seems to have adapted his team and his style at Ajax as well to the sides who we've really become aware of, certainly even before this link between Ten Hag and United, with a team that reached the semi-finals of the Champions League in 2019 with a, a system that didn't have really a, a sort of out-and-out recognised centre-forward in the important games compared to the side that's had Sebastian Allaire up front in recent times. And that's been an interesting aspect for us as well. So you, you can see easily how Ten Hag's system would fit a Ronaldo then, Marcel. Absolutely. And if you see that, well, the best comparison really is Dusan Tadic again. Ajax normally don't buy older players because everything comes through their academy. Um, and if they need to buy, it will be one or two players with a bit more experience. Now, Ten Hag wanted to bring Tadic in for his experience and not just on the pitch but also in the dressing room. He made him captain, so let's see what happens with the armband at Man United as well here. And I'm hinting to Ronaldo again. Let's see what he's going to do there because he needs that, that top professional who puts the bar really high from a guy with a huge reputation that the other players will accept it if he insists that they, you know, lift the bar and all the other players had to fit in with Tadic and at the same time Tadic had to fit in with the style of Ten Hag's formation. Tadic has to put a lot of work in as well because if you, if you, if you don't put your work in the system what he plays doesn't work but he's convinced that Ronaldo can still do that and this is why I'm really interested to see how he's going to get on at Man United knowing that the quality of the players is so much higher. He built this Ajax team from a very unusual mixture of young players from the academy and players who he brought back. Five misfits, excuse me, from the Premier League. Steven Berghaus hardly ever played with Watford. David Glasser didn't make it at Everton. Martin Stecklenburg was on the bench at Everton. Dusan Tadic played at Southampton, but he wasn't in one of the top five clubs ever, was he? And the other one is um, Sebastian Allaire. Never pulled any real victories at West Ham, did he? Daily Blint. And Daily Blint, he did okay at Man United, but I don't think he went out uh, through the, the main door where leaving all the Man United fans thinking that was the biggest defender we've ever had from. Uh, and yet, all of them suddenly played out of their skin but not individually, I think because of how we played, how, how we had the format, they knew how to fit in into that style. How do you think Donny van der Beek will be feeling about the appointment of Eric Ten Hag? And, and can you tell me how to pronounce Ten Hag properly, please? <laughs> I'll start with the last one. Uh, Eric Ten Hag. That, that sounds a bit... You have to um, have that real strong G. That sounds yeah. a bit scout. Steve McLaren can do it. I know, but it sounds like a Liverpool accent, how you say it. Ten, ten Hag. <laughs> ten Hag, yeah. That's why Sammy Lee was chosen by Ronald Koeman. He's <laughs> good Dutch, yeah, clearly. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, no, it's a very strong G. And, uh, well, that's why I think that they, they also made the combination, probably, with Mitchell van der Gaag and Eric Ten Hag. 
you know, it's it's quite great when you when you get the two of them together. It's a nightmare for commentators, I think, for the new season. <laughs> but um, Donny van der Beek, um, does anybody live in the city centre of Manchester? Because you probably could see some balloons and trimmings <laughs> up outside his house. He's over the moon. He'll be on the first row on that plane to Thailand. I bet you. He's 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 really going to get a go, I think. And Eric will bring him back in, and um, it could be one of the surprises of the season, maybe. You can see him already in Manchester Airport carrying his bags through security. Eric, can I take that luggage for you? <laughs> and it's, uh, it's stuff from the duty-free, whatever it is, uh, you know, perfume. He'll carry anything for him as long as he can get back in that team. Absolutely. On a similar theme, Marcel, Frankie de Jong is someone that United seem to be interested in. Eric Ten Hag has obviously managed him before to great success. What do you think of that situation? And is there anybody else at Ajax that you think United should try and get? I mean, we're seeing the links with Jurian Timber, um, Anthony even, even Ryan Gravenberch, although I think he might be off to Bayern Munich. But I just wondered, I heard that Eric Ten Hag said he wouldn't you know, ban himself from not getting players from Ajax, if, if that makes sense. I don't think I've said it quite right. but We know what you mean. You know what I'm getting at. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a good point what you bring in there because, again... When you have been listening to Tanakh over the past 10 days, he's been telling us that it would actually be good for Ajax uh, if some of the players would be sold because it would be financially good for Ajax and they can buy new players. You know, it's like, how do I tell the fans I'm going to nick a few players? It was so unusual. I've never heard that kind of explanation from a manager who's leaving to a new bigger club. And... Uh, and I actually wondered, when he said, I'm packing my suitcases, and he mentioned, plural, more suitcases, and there's one or two in there. But he's very keen on a couple of players, of course. Jurian Timber, it's fantastic. Jurian uh, Timber was almost voted footballer of the year in the, in the Netherlands. Anthony has been outstanding. He would have been the footballer of the year if he didn't get injured, um, you know, a little while ago. And those two players would, would be great for Manchester United. Now, Frankie de Jong, I think, is maybe financially out of the price category because the Spanish, always when Man United or City or whoever turn up, you know, the prices go up three times above the normal value. So I think they will want to ask so much money. And Eric Ten Hag has never paid more than 16 million for a player. So that's maybe one of the things he has to learn at Man United. Maybe... You can, Eric, you can spend five, seven times that amount. And managers who have never worked with those sort of figures are usually a bit wary to spend that much because he wants to be convinced. And if you look at how he built his team, which I just described, he's not always so impressed with, with, with big-name players and big transfer fees. And at, at the same time, you, at, when you're at United, you can't turn up with a couple of cheapies. It has to be spectacular it has to be almost like Real Madrid you know because that helps the come here comes Louis van Gaal's famous phrase it's a commercial club they do everything for commercial reasons and maybe that will play a part so when you're saying that about never having spent so much money being very cautious I remember the same being said of David Moyes and it ended up being a problem because he was so cautious when he came to Manchester United, that there was very little transfer activity done in, in that first transfer window. And then the club panicked a little bit. Will he be dazzled by how much money he can spend? Will he be too cautious? This is where it's maybe good that Steve 
McLaren is coming in. Because Steve will make clear to him that this is not a Dutch Mickey Mouse league. He's working in the biggest football competition in the world. He's working for probably the biggest export product in British football. If you see how what happens when they land in Thailand and in Australia, that there are millions watching his team and that he also needs to know that he can spend millions and that he knows that there is an office in uh, London as well, apart from Manchester, where they deal with just the commercial activities, which is bringing in hundreds of millions every year. I think he's done wise bringing somebody in who's been there at the club before and who's worked with Sir Alex, who's worked with the directors, who's travelled the world in those tours. He will learn a lot in that first tour to the Far East and to Australia, I think, because when I spoke to Robin van Persie the other week, we went back on his Man United period, and um, he says he could not believe what happened when he landed in Asia. He had his phone on at night, and he's got Twitter and, and, and Instagram. And I think in one week, he gained another 10 million followers, and he realised how big the club was abroad. And when you only play in England, and you only work in, in, in the English environment and the clubs... Yeah, of course, you get your attention. The fans love you. But when you land in Asia, he says it's, it's unbelievable. And I think the same thing with, will happen with Eric. Yeah, he needs to get his Instagram set up now, doesn't he? So he can make the most of all the uh, <laughs> offers that will be coming his way in endorsements. Marcel, we're going to have to leave it there. It's been absolutely brilliant to have you on. It's going to be fascinating to see how Ten Hag, if I've got that right, gets on at Manchester United. And I'm sure we'll speak again as well. Thank you for being with us on Talk of the Devils. Can I just hear that again, how you said that, Ten Hag? Ten Hag. <laughs> ah, that's good. That sounds really Marcel, good. Marcel, you, you, you should give us marks out of 10 for our pronunciation, because I know that Laurie really wants to try. Go on, what, Laurie? Ten Hag. No. Oh, five out of ten. That was all. No, that's, that's, Go on, Ian. Ian. <sighs> ten Hag. Yeah, that, that's... Well, you, you live probably the closest to Holland in, uh, this part, in your part of the UK. Go on, Marcel, you do it, just so I can hear it one more time. Erik ten Hag. Erik ten Hag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, Ian's won this one. Oh. Oh, fantastic. Well done, Ian. Marcel, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Been a pleasure. Yes, great to get Marcel on. And remember, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. We should have asked Marcel if he was interested, actually. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. You get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcast. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. Sign up now. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
Well, that was definitely worth it, wasn't it, to speak to Marcel, a fascinating insight on Eric Ten Hag and also a little peek behind the curtain of exactly the Dutch opinion of the work that he's got to get done straight away at Old Trafford. The expression at the start, Laurie, about green bushes. Are there any green bushes at Old Trafford? There's a few, isn't there? There's a few. I was thinking... You got a close-up view earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, the grass, as soon as we finished the game, they got the mowers out, didn't they? They were like, right, lads, you've had your fun, sod off which is fair enough. So it's getting primed and, and pristine, ready for, I think, the Legends match that's coming up, isn't it? That's the next time that that hallowed turf will be graced. Um, but I was thinking when he said that, I was like, is Eric Ten Hag the guy with the hosepipe? Because he was sort of talking about the bushfires in Australia and I'm thinking it is a bit of a difficult landscape that he's inheriting at Manchester United. Hopefully he can bring the positivity. But I thought that Marcel just provided so much insight, didn't he? In terms of, you know, an honesty, in terms of the difficulties he's had at Ajax, what he's going to come into at Manchester United and whether he's big enough for it, I suppose. I find it really interesting. So hopefully we can get him back on at some point. But I think that gives us a real insight into what Eric Ten Hag is all about and what he might do at Man United. Yeah, he seems to dismiss the idea, for instance, of Frankie de Jong joining United as well, Andy. What, have you been hearing anything at the Barcelona end before I get your thoughts on, on what Marcel had to say? Yeah, I've, I've not written anything about um, Frankie. I've probably watched him live in... 60% of his games for Barcelona and he had a very good uh, first season and he's declined a bit and that's probably because of the way that he plays. I think when he's alongside Sergio Busquets, he tends to be more effective and have more of a licence to be creative and he's a very creative player. Uh, I think Javi does, would like him. I think people forget how much Barca actually paid for him. He was signed just at the end of that squandering money, terribly on Coutinho, uh, on Dembele, who's still a decent player. And I don't think Barca would recruit anything like what they paid for him. But it's a little bit similar to Madrid with Varane last year. Um, Madrid said they wanted to keep Varane. They offered him a contract, but he knew and they knew that they weren't going to push the boat out completely. And if a big, big offer came in for him, uh, then that would be considered... I'm going to speak to some people from Barcelona in the next week. I'll find out exactly what's happening there. But if you're asking me today, I do not think a decision has been made. Um, Xavi Nandes has said that. The sporting director, Matthew Almany, has also um, said that. I think it's all in play. And part of it is Barca knowing that if they're going to get top money, it's going to be from a club like Manchester United. And I'd caution against that as well, because United have had the pants pulled down plenty of times. And on his day in the right team, in the right system, Frankie de Jong is fantastic. But I've seen him play lots of times where he's not been good enough to be in the starting eleven, or he's come on as substitute as well. I think with the right manager, he can be as good as he was at Ajax and in that first season at Barcelona. And what stood out to you about what Marcel had to say? I found the whole chat really engaging. I felt that he knows far more about Eric Ten Hag than I do. And if I met Marcel in a pub I would ask him the same sort of questions I just want to learn about the person who's going to become Manchester United manager and he's an authority as a journalist uh, he knows Eric personally and I'm all ears and I hope that people listening to this podcast will be the same there's no point pretending that we know everything about somebody when we don't do but he knows an awful lot about him and prepared to listen and I think he's a fantastic guest 
Yeah, he certainly was. Brilliant to have him on, like we've said. We need to just round up some of the articles then on The Athletic uh, regarding Manchester United that have appeared over the course of the last few days. And one in particular, Laurie, that's caused a little bit of a stir. I don't see why we should shy away from the storm that you've been in over uh, these, these past few hours. Manchester United's totally flat finish, holidays, absences and bad training sessions. That's the uh, the crux of it. That's the headline. Um, why have you faced so much criticism for writing this, Laurie? And what is it about United's training ground that feels totally flat? Yeah, I think whenever we write stuff that is perhaps provocative, you're going to get people disagreeing with you. And that's what the comment section is for. You know, we had 300 comments on the article, which would always much rather have that than zero comments. You know, you want to uh, entertain people, you want to inform people, you want to have that engagement. So um, I welcome all kinds of comments that, that readers have. Um, but a lot of them were sort of critical in the way that I'd framed the story, um, basically feeling that I was letting the players off the hook, I suppose. And there's this kind of growing theme, isn't there, about leaks and how leaks are a bad thing um, and they shouldn't be happening, which... On the one hand, yeah, quite possibly, you know, in Sir Alex Ferguson's time, he would absolutely ruled with an iron rod, didn't he, in terms of not letting information get out of Old Trafford. But times have changed in modern football anyway. And also, United are in disarray, really, behind the scenes. I mean, it's been the worst season in Premier League history. So obviously, people are going to have strong opinions about where it's going wrong. And as a journalist, you try and speak to people as many as you can and make an informed opinion that's that's balanced but that at the same time doesn't shy away from the realities of what's going on so that was that was what my piece was in terms of I think probably specifically people were annoyed that I'd you know named Chris Armas and Ewan Sharp as the two coaches that are doing the training drills and that just aren't up to standard I'm afraid um, clearly the players have not perform well that some of the um, you know standards that have been on display some of the choices that they've made about um, certain matches playing or not um, has been you know just wrong but at the same time this coaching team under Ralph Rannick has been in charge for you know more than half the season and it's going to end up being you know the worst points total in Premier League history with you know I'm trying to think of a good performance really and probably Brentford leads away was, was wasn't too bad but at the same time there's been some catastrophes hasn't there and there is there is a reason for that in terms of uh, the different formations that have been played, you know, Ralph Rangit being indecisive, and also the, the training standards, the, the drills that and the sessions that have been laid on by Chris Armas and Ewan Sharp, who who just aren't, they haven't been in this in this world before. We heard Marcel talking earlier about Steve McLaren coming on board, and that's not to say that it's going to be all rose under Steve McLaren at all, you know, as, as a coach. But at the same time, he's got that history in the game where he knows what success looks like. Chris Armas and Ewan Sharp, no disrespect to them, but they're not from the Premier League where they've been at the top level. It's Manchester United we're talking about. So I think the players have looked at that. Not only have they, you know, so there's probably a circumspection about it in terms of are these coaches going to tell me anything that I don't already know? But at the same time, you know, beyond that, it's been the case that, you know, some of the training sessions, I'm told, haven't been at all well-structured and the selections have been confusing for players. You know, you look at the Liverpool game, training with a back three um, for one session, if that, I think it was, and you could see that the players were slightly confused. Now, a lot of the commenters were saying, you know, players shouldn't be misplacing 10-yard passes. Some of the things they've been doing on the pitch is disgrace, which, you know, you can't argue with. But at the same time, players get criticised every week. That they're, the, they're, the play, they're the people that are the, you know, at the forefront of our minds, aren't they? After each performance, they get scrutinised, which is as it should be. It's Manchester United. But by the same token, that shouldn't absolve people behind the scenes from the same scrutiny. Like I say, it's Manchester United. And that goes all the way up to the top you know, from Joel Glazer, Richard Arnold, John Murta, who, you know, installed Ralph Rangnick in this interim 
um, you know, situation. So everyone has questions to answer about this current plight. Uh, but listen, I don't mind anyone having a go at me in terms of asking me questions about where you know this information comes from. You know, is it uh, absolutely correct? You know, that, that's fine. People will will ask me those questions and I'll respond to them. But yeah, it just caused quite a lot of stir on on the old athletic app. It was good actually because even in the comments, readers were arguing with each other about what they thought about your article. So that's when you know you've written a good article, Andy. I did a similar piece about Ralph Rangnick two weeks ago and had a similar response in the comments and. I stand by every word that I wrote. If I wrote it again, I'd probably be even even stronger. Sometimes if you write some uncomfortable truths, then that is what you've got to do. I've been saying on this podcast since December that the departure of those three coaches was significant. And people did not want to hear it at the time because it was like, out with the old, in with the new. King Ralph's going to sort everything out. The world's going to be a great place because football fans are invested in, in this idea of a, of a brighter future. That hasn't happened, as Laurie said. It has been hugely disappointing. And there are many people at fault for that. And some of them are going to get the criticism. Of course, it's the players as well. But some of the other people, in the same way that if Laurie or I write a terrible article, we'd get criticised for it as well. And rightly so. But don't go out saying that stuff is factually incorrect if it's if it's triple and quadruple sourced and everyone's saying the same uh, type of thing. Okay, if you want to read Laurie's thought-provoking piece, it seems, uh, it's up on The Athletic now. There's also some other details on there at the moment with regards to Manchester United about another academy coach leaving his post, Dwight York's first job in management and also Carl uh, Anker's take on Eric's shopping list as he arrives in the UK. Don't forget, if you're not a subscriber, you can get a new subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But for now, it's a goodbye from me, Laurie and Andy. Thank you for being with us as always on Talk of the Devils. We'll be back on Thursday to preview that match we're really excited about against Crystal Palace. But United's place in the Europa League could be under threat. We'll speak about it then. See you on the next one. Bye-bye. Athletic.